0: Uh, Brian Loritz is my name. I'm one of the teaching pastors here uh, at the Summit Church. It is a an, uh, joy and a delight to be with you. If you're new with us, as you're making your way to 1 Samuel 25, we've been in a series on the life of uh, of David, uh, and uh, I can't wait to dive into this particular uh, chapter with you. Actually, if you look at 1 Samuel chapters 24, 25, and 26, they all form a unit Uh, together and we're going to see David uh, on the run and what appears to be a very obscure unrelatable story uh, we're going to be surprised at how relatable it is to the human condition I won't read the whole chapter just pick me up in verse 23 and let me read through verse 32 into your hearing it says when Abigail saw David she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, that's her husband, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For well, the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without, without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. When the Lord has dealt with, well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Let us pray god thank you thank you lord god it's uh some passages like these weeks like these when i sit down lord god and just kind of pour over this particular episode in the life of david and initially lord god it's it's a question i have why did you want this passage of scripture kind of codified and, and preserved for all of eternity And yet, the more I get into it, Lord God, the the sweet affirmation that all Scripture is indeed profitable, it is useful. And so, Lord God, would you speak deeply into our hearts from the story of a person who's clearly wronged and is on their way to exact vengeance, and yet, Lord God, ends up forgiving. That's a word I need to hear. That's a word we need to hear. Give me grace. Spirit of the living God, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Several of us may be familiar with a woman in history. Her name is um, Lady Astor. If that name doesn't ring a bell, she's an important figure because she was an American-born uh, British politician who was the first woman to uh, to occupy a seat in Parliament. She's also well-known, not just because she was the first woman to occupy a seat in Parliament, but she's also well-known because uh, she didn't like Prime Minister Winston Churchill, a fact that she made abundantly clear. In fact, if you understand anything about Churchill and Lady Astor, theirs was a well-documented political feud fueled by vengeance. Lady Astor, once filled with disgust, said to Winston Churchill, if I was your wife, I would poison your coffee. To which he responded, if I was your husband, I would drink it. Winston Churchill uh, had a problem with alcohol, and this disturbed Lady Astor deeply. Once she was going to throw a costume ball at her house, and uh, some of her friends who knew of her dislike for Winston Churchill, uh, they, they asked her, what, what costume do you think Winston could wear to your, to your ball, and no one could recognize, would recognize him? To which she responded, if he came sober, no one would know who he was. Once... She got disgusted with Churchill and said, Winston, you are drunk. To which Churchill would not back down and said, Lady Astor, you are ugly, and tomorrow I shall be sober. It got pretty nasty. Back and forth, day in, day out, week in, week out, both sides digging in, no one giving up, vengeance. What, what, per, what, what perpetrated and continued their, their feud and their fight was the refusal to respond to evil with kindness. They could not let things go. And because of their position in vengeance, it wasn't like throwing water on fire. It was only like throwing gasoline on fire. That's what vengeance does vengeance never makes things better it actually makes things worse there's a guy he's a Yale professor his name is Miroslav Volf a follower of Jesus Christ he wrote a wonderful book a few years ago called the end of memory and he gets exactly to this point look at what he says with me he he writes to triumph fully evil needs two victories not one The first victory happens when an evil deed is is perpetrated. The second victory, when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. You see what he's saying here? In a sense, we can't help, we can't control how people respond to us. When people want to do nasty, hurtful things to us, when people want to manipulate us, we, we cannot control that. But we can control our response. So when someone hurts me, when someone offends me, when someone violates me, and I respond in kind by turning evil for evil, again, I'm not dumping water on the situation, I'm only dumping gasoline making the situation and the scenario far worse this is exactly what we see in our text guy by the name of nebal does something evil david doesn't like david says that's it and he's starting to go down the trail of vengeance he's going to wipe out everybody back and forth and back and forth they go this is the reason why i have entitled this this, um, this lesson today, vengeance, one plus zero equals zero. I know I went to Bible college and you think I don't know math. I know math full well. That's bad math by the way that we know it, one plus zero equals zero, but in the mathematics of the kingdom, that is exactly spot on. When evil happens to me and I don't return it, I nullify it. And more than that, I glorify God. I think this is a word we all need to hear. I mean, God has taken me to the woodshed this week. All of us are sinners. We live in a very fallen world. Which means this. All of us know what it's like to be Nabal. Hurt people. Either intentionally or unintentionally. And all, all of us know what it's like to be David, to, to do a good deed, to, to extend kindness to people, to try our best with people, only, only to be hurt deeply. And some of you right now, maybe you found out about the infidelity of your spouse. I know you weren't the perfect spouse, but you've tried your absolute best only to discover that they have not maintained their vows and they have betrayed you deeply. Maybe for some of you who are in the aftermath of that, you're walking the long night of divorce, you're, you're frustrated because it's one thing to be wrong, but, but then you're, you're being wronged over and over again. That, that, that person ain't making child support payments, they're not, they're not keeping their end of the deal with alimony, and it's just kind of just picking at the wound over and over again. Others of you, maybe you've been wrongfully terminated from your job. Hear me, this message is, is not a warning to you to say you shouldn't go to the HR department, you shouldn't file a legal claim, you, you, you shouldn't uh, seek child support payments or alimony. This, this message is not about justice, it's about vengeance. And I'll unpack those two things in just a few moments. Christians are called to justice. We're never called to vengeance. So we come to our text. Our text, of course, is right on the heels of an episode that we discovered last week, 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, Man, of all the truck stops for uh, Saul to pull into to to go take a bathroom break, he decides to go to a cave where David and uh, several hundred of his closest friends are hanging out. Uh, last week lended itself to a lot of potty humor, and we heard that from our pastor, so I'm going to spare you all of that this week. But here is David in an incredible way. He's got this guy who's been after him right in his hands and his men are encouraging him. Look at God. I mean, he's put him in your hands. Go ahead and kill him. And David in 1 Samuel 24 is the picture of patience and active trust in God. This is kind of parenthetically the whole point of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel really centers on three great leaders. Samuel, uh, uh, Saul, the first king, and then David. Uh, This book is not just a wonderful piece of history. In other words, God um, God does not uh, want the, the book of 1 Samuel written merely to historically inform us. Instead, scholars tell us that the book of 1 Samuel is actually written during the darkest period of the nation of Israel's life, it's what we would call the Babylonian exile. Where years upon years and decades and centuries of resisting God and trusting in themselves, God raises up the nation of Babylon, uses them as an instrument of his judgment, and then carts them off into exile. It's a period marked by overwhelming grief. That's why Psalm 137 says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. So now, God says, I want 1 Samuel written. In the juxtaposition of 1 Samuel, it's a stark contrast between Saul and David. Saul is a picture of pride. David is a picture of humility. Saul is a picture of self-reliance. David is a picture of God-reliance. This is more than just historical information. In the juxtaposition, God is saying, Israel, look at me, pay attention to me, be like David not like Saul but it's here we gotta be careful even with that because David is not the hero of first Samuel God is oh we see that right in our text I mean Right on the heels of 1 Samuel 24 where David is this picture of active trust and God reliance and yeah, I've got the opportunity to kill this guy, to cut his throat, to assume the the throne. I'm not, I'm going to trust and wait on God. Now one chapter later, one guy with a couple of sentences who pours contempt on David, David's like, that's it, mount up. Strap up your swords. We're killing him and all the male households. I mean, you talk about a blatant contradiction in a matter of moments. And I just got to stop right here and say, isn't that all of us? Patient one moment, impatient the next. My wife, she'll be at the second service. She'll amen that point. (laughs) Kind one moment mean the next. That's, that's all of us. I remember some years ago, I was pastoring the Bay Area, and um, I, I invited this guy to come out and and speak for a midweek series uh, uh, to us. He's very well-known national platform and um i really wanted to use this for non-believers to come i was shocked when we put the word out the evening he was um, set to speak people started lining up to get to our church uh three hours in advance and if you know anything about the bay area that ain't the bible belt they're lined up down the street and and this speaker comes in, and we're sitting in one of the hospitality rooms, and I'm, I'm just dialoguing with this. I sense the humility, the kindness, the godliness. I mean, I grew up a pastor's kid, so I can kind of smell phoniness a mile away. And this guy just seemed genuine. And a, a, a few minutes later, he gets up to preach, and, and it wasn't just a talented word. It, just wasn't, it wasn't just a gifted word. It, it was an anointed word of God. And when he got finished, he did a Q&A, and I watched him handle the people with incredible grace, only to discover that while all this was going on, he was embroiled in deep immorality and sin that would be exposed some years later. Blatant contradiction. I could talk to you about Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors, Some of you have have read Brennan Manning. If you haven't read Abba's Child, read Abba's Child. It will will just inflame your affections for Christ. But as you read, remember he's an alcoholic. I talked about Martin Luther King Jr. and his much-noted affairs. But a drum major for justice. And before you get judgmental and want to cancel them, just take a few moments and look at your own heart. We're all blatant contradictions, flesh and spirit, at war with one another. There's something else here. I love this. Uh, Ladies, get ready to shout. Three characters, three main characters in our text, uh, David, Nabal, and Abigail. And this text kind of kills this... um, Ancient narrative that, uh, um, that women cannot be trusted under pressure because their emotions will get the best of them. If you just read the text, whose emotions get the best of who? Nabal, filled with anger and wrath, says some things he shouldn't have said, speaks out of deep emotion. David hears that. Uh, He starts to run an emotional fever filled with anger and wrath. We're we're, going to kill this guy and all the males in his household. The only one who's cool under pressure is Abigail. She's not emotionless. She just channels her emotion in a very logical, sensible, Christ-like way to diffuse the situation. This is incredible how God is using this woman to accomplish his divine purposes here on earth. Wow. As our text opens up, David's on the run. In fact, it tells us in verse 1 that Samuel, the last judge of Israel, has died. Learn to read the Bible not just in its historical, theological, grammatical context, but learn to read it very much in its emotional context. David is on the run. He's living a life of a fugitive. Here he's had the opportunity in chapter 24 to assume the throne. And he's actively waiting on God, and yet here he is in the wilderness of Paran. Not only that, Samuel has died, and some scholars tell us what this means is, is that all hopes of reconciliation from a human perspective between Saul and David are out the door. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing David feels vulnerable like never before. He's a little bit on edge. It's at this moment where we see David and his men. It's during sheep shearing time, which is a very festive occasion in the life of Israel, filled with work, the shearing sheep, but also there's all kinds of festivities and and parties and feasting. It's a wonderful time of just celebrating the goodness of God. And it's at this moment that we see David and his men. They've They've been doing an act of goodness and kindness towards a man named Nabal. Nabal is in the region of Hebron. He's a man of status and significance. He's got a lot of money, a lot of possessions, 3,000 sheep, and, and David has been protecting them and nothing wrong has happened. And David just makes a simple request. Do you mind if you provide some food for us to eat? Now Nabal, the text tells us, his name means foolish or worthless. Now whose mama would name him that? My sister's an OBGYN, true story. One of the things she loves to do is, is just tell me the, the interesting names people name their kids. This is a true story. If she's lying, it's on her. She told me she once delivered a set of twins. One was born just before midnight, and the mama decided to name her today, and the other was born just after midnight, and the mama decided to name her tomorrow. Unbelievable. I watched the Alabama game yesterday. If you want to see interesting names, just roll tide. They got a cornerback named Kool-Aid. Like your mama named you Kool-Aid? Unbelievable. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> Scholars tell us that Nabal here is probably not his given name. If you understand about anything about names in antiquity, you, you understand that, that they took those names seriously. That names were to be a statement of character. Scholars tell us that what's happening in all likelihood here is the name Nabal is actually a nickname, a name he reco- acquires later on, that is really apropos to his behavior, which is actually worse. People are seeing how he's behaving, and they just decide to name him foolish, worthless, stupid. And I hate to say it, everything about his actions and behavior in our text says that's a nickname that's well earned. So here he is. He not only turns David down, but he pours contempt on David. He calls him a son of Jesse. And anytime that's used by David's enemies, it's not a term of endearment. He is spewing evil. David says, that's it, mount up, he's going to, uh, to, to, to return evil for evil, vengeance is in his hand. I want to talk to you about three kinds of vengeance. Just stop right here and, and just come to your neighborhood. One kind is the kind that we understand full well, and, and truth be told, it's, it's indicative of all forms of, of vengeance. It's simply what I would label this first kind, relational vengeance. Uh, Vengeance here, it's different than justice. Justice has to do with dealing with the issue so I can make the other person and therefore the relationship whole. Something's off. I've got a sister who's gone through the dark night of the soul of divorce. She should be paid child support alimony payments should be made it's not vengeance for her to seek those things some of you you've been wrongfully terminated and so maybe we do need to have a conversation with HR maybe we do need to file a legal complaint maybe you were fired and on top of that uh, uh, not much of a severance was given to you pennies was kind of given to you and, and you need to be made whole it's justice Justice is looking at the issue, going, let's deal with the issue to make the relationship whole. Vengeance is not focused on the issue, it's focused on the person who did me wrong. And I want to harm you. See the difference? Vengeance is I not only want my child support and alimony, but I want to ask for so much because my spirit is I want you to suffer. Yeah, 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 I'm going to go to HR, I'm going to go to legal. Yeah, I was fired unjustly, but it's not just about getting my just due. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to file this claim because I want this company to go down. See the difference? And there's different faces of it. Some of us, relational vengeance is very aggressive. We're yelling and cussing and, and screaming. <laughs> I remember... My wife and I we've we've got a friend of ours. In fact she got saved the same day my, my wife did and this girl can you don't you don't play with her and she's going down the 405 freeway in southern california she's trying to merge on person wouldn't let her merge on almost runs her off the road does she let it go absolutely not she pulls up alongside the person and and she motions to that person to roll their window down why in 2022 this is still the symbol of roll your window down i don't know the person, now they're going down the 405 freeway. The person rolls their window down, and our friend takes a handful of change and chucks it at them, going about 60 miles an hour down the freeway. Now, most of us ain't going to do that. I'm going to believe the best in you. But there's another face of vengeance. There's the aggressive face, but then there's the passive-aggressive face. Praise God for the block button. Praise God for caller ID. I just got real busy. I'm not speaking to you anymore. We're done. That, friends, is vengeance. The scriptures speak to this. Romans 12, Paul says... but overcome evil with good. Just relational vengeance. Secondly, there's, there's what I would call rerouted vengeance. W- what does this mean? You do something to me I don't like, and so instead of dealing with it, Matthew 18, going to you, having the conversation, extending forgiveness, working towards reconciliation, what Paul says, Romans 12, as best you can, be at peace with all. Instead of doing the biblical thing, I I, I never respond to you, I never deal with with it, but what then happens is, here's what you got to understand, when you don't deal with it, other people will experience your vengeance, it's gonna come out. I just read Viola Davis, the great actress. She just came out with a book called Finding Me. It's her memoir and she talks about her own father and her father dealt with all kinds of injustices and abuse at work but, but he never dealt with it with his employer, he'd just bottle it up and he'd come home and there was all kinds of chaos and yelling and screaming and violence. This is rerouted vengeance. And that's some of you. Your boss is driving you nuts and you're scared to have the conversation maybe because that could have implications on whether or not you have a job. and, And so now your family's paying for it. Your friendships are paying for it. Instead of dealing with it here, it's just going a million different directions. Others of you, you've got rerouted vengeance because... There was a parent who wronged you, a dad or a mom, and now they're dead and you can't really deal with it. And, and because of that, there's a root of bitterness that's in you that other people are suffering. You've never dealt with that. It's rerouted vengeance. Others of you, maybe it's an in-law that you've never dealt with. And you're getting hives already because Thanksgiving is right around the corner. It's October, y'all rerouted vengeance thirdly finally there's what i would call spiritual vengeance so many people in our culture feel like david with nabal when it comes to god hey man i've i've been kind to you (laughs) god i've been coming to church i've been giving my money i've been praying i've been serving i'm going on the missions trip and i got cancer are you kidding me i got rebellious kids are you kidding me I've got this financial difficulty. I've got this storm. Are you kidding me? I've been kind to you. I'm going to stop praying. Stop coming to church. I'm going to start popular word in our culture today: deconstructing. This is just acts of vengeance directed towards God. So what's the call? Here's David, mount up. We're done. I've been kind to you. This is how you want to repay me. Every one of you, 400 of you come with me. The other 200, stay by the baggage. Get your swords. We're not just killing Nabal. We're killing every single male. Abigail hears, remember it's sheep shearing season, festivities, so food is being prepared. Abigail's like, "Mm, we gotta do something about this. So what does she do? She hurries up. She puts this meal together. I think she's able to bring it together so quickly because, again, it's sheep-shearing season. It's time for feasting and festivities. This stuff is already coming together. She rushes out to David in the section of our chapter that we read. In essence, what she's saying is, hey, David, listen, listen. I know you're hot. I know you're angry. But I just need you to glance at the rearview mirror of your life. Do you want to be able to look back and see a trail of blood? In other words, do you really want your life? life marked by getting even with people and not letting stuff go and she says in so many words we're talking about Nabal you're the anointed king he's worthless I love what Andy Stanley says Andy Stanley says the problem with getting even is that it makes you even with people you don't even like no David take the high road Forgive forgive the New Testament words for forgiveness are interesting they, um, they mean to to release they mean to let go. I love it one, one new testament word it, it, it literally means to send away Matthew chapter eighteen. Peter comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, how many times shall my enemy sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times. Now, he has to be smiling when he says seven times. And I say that because the rabbis in Peter's day says, you only had to forgive three times. Uh, Peter takes three, multiplies it times two, adds one for good measure to land on the number of completion. And he has to be smiling. I'm going above and beyond. Seven times? And Jesus burst his bubble. No, Peter, I don't say seven times. I say 70 times seven. Now, again, I went to Bible college, don't know math that well. I think that's 490 times. And right now, someone in this room just said, praise God, because this person's on 489. We understand Jesus is employing a rhetorical um, device. He is using hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point. Our horizontal forgiveness of others is to be unending because the vertical forgiveness we receive from him is unending. And then to cement his point, he tells a story of a person who owes 10,000 talents. Scholars say that's billions upon billions of dollars. Uh, One preacher says what this person owes is akin to putting America's debt to China on their shoulders. You can't ever repay it. And the king, the one he owes the money to, says, throw him in jail until he should pay all of it. Are you serious? He's not getting out. And finally, the text says, moved with pity or compassion, the king says, you know what? I release you. Open the doors. Send you away. You're free. It's at this moment I'm going, are, are you kidding me, king? I understand he can't pay all of it back, but, but you can get some of it back doesn't make sense and I think that's the point forgiveness is irrational what's rational is to keep score that makes sense vengeance is a very good scorekeeper forgiveness turns off the scoreboard Many of us in this room may be familiar with the name of Charles Roberts IV. Uh, Several years ago, long story short, he was frustrated with God, so he decided to take his frustrations with God out on the local Amish community. He walked into uh, the local Amish school, uh, took out an assault rifle, and just unloaded on a group of fourth grade students. Then when he was done, in an ultimate act of cowardice, he took his own life. Many of these students died. Some of them still had a pulse. They rushed them to the hospital. Next couple of weeks, uh, these, these Amish students are struggling, holding on for dear life. They're in there for weeks and weeks at a time. And this is where a problem, another problem comes in, and that is the mounting medical bills in this specific Amish community didn't have adequate medical insurance. So the global community heard about this. We all pitched in millions upon millions of dollars over what they actually needed came in. Uh, The Amish elders then had a discussion, what do we do with the excess? They held a meeting in a room similar to this, and one of them said, well, what about the widow of Charles Roberts IV? Who will care for her? So they voted. They said, let's give her a million. They marched to her house. Said, we hold no grudge against you. We we release it. We're sending it away. Here's a million dollars. Care for your family. And I love it. A reporter said, forgive? How can you forgive? Need need I remind you what her husband did to your kids? How can you forgive? And I love what this Amish elder said, because we're Christians. That's what Christians do. Where have you drawn your sword? And just been a silent assassin and cutting people off? Where have you murdered relationships? If vengeance is the badge of the world, forgiveness is the badge of the believer. You are no more like Christ than when like Christ you've been wronged. and You let it go. Easier said than done. Newsflash, we don't have the capacity to do this. You should be feeling like right now, and this is where I, I love John Wesley. John Wesley was asked his paradigm for preaching. He says, My paradigm for preaching is simple overwhelm you with law, rescue you with grace. You should feel overwhelmed right now. I can't do this. And that's exactly the point. You can't, that's why you need a savior. And we catch a glimpse of that in our, in our text. And the Christ-like figure in our text, ain't David, it for sure ain't Nabal, it's Abigail. What does she do? She prepares a meal. What's a major element in the meal? The lamb. What does she do? She, she rides a donkey. She comes out to David in humility. She throws herself at his feet. And what did she say? On me and me alone be his guilt. If that ain't Jesus, I don't know what is. Jesus comes to earth, Philippians chapter 2. In great humility, he humbled himself. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The night of the Passover when they thought Jesus was going to say that this lamb represents the lamb of our forefathers and we took the blood and put it over there. He says, no, no, I am that lamb. And what does he do on the cross as they're jeering at him? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. How do we respond? How do we respond? Could you bow your heads with me right now? Here's what I I believe. I, I believe as the word was going forth, the Spirit of God was bringing up faces in our minds. Faces of people who have wronged us. think the Spirit of God's been messing with some of us. Whispering, you need to forgive. If you're here today and there's a Nabal in your life, and please let me be careful, let's not act like none of us have never been Nabal to someone else's life. But you're saying, Brian, I've been wronged. I, I need gospel-saturated power to forgive. I, I, I want to take that step. I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to call you to the altar right now. We can do that after service, and I'll be here to pray with you. But if you're here and you're saying, man, there's, someone has wronged me, and I just, I just want you to pray for me. Would you just stand to your feet right now across this room? Just stand to your feet. Someone here today, I've been wronged just yes. I just need you to pray for me. Someone someone else. Yeah I'm, I'm just wrestling. Yeah someone else. Someone else. Someone else. Someone else. I've been wronged. Yes I see you. I see you. We're not going to ask what the wrong is. but We just want to pray for you. Someone else. Is there someone else today who would say yes need prayer for forgiveness. Yeah, I see you still standing, still standing. Me and some of the leaders will be at the altar after service. For those of you who are standing or maybe you don't feel comfortable standing, we'll be right here to pray with you. But I want to pray right now for those my brothers and sisters who are standing. Father, in the name of Jesus, we live in a very fallen world. marked by sin we have been hurt we will be hurt we will hurt but thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ the core message of the gospel is we're all Nabal foolish doing life on our own terms it wasn't just a couple of centurions who nailed you to the cross. All of us did. And the great promise of Scripture is if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right now, in the name of Jesus, God, for those of my brothers and sisters who are standing, for those of us who are dealing with hurt, would you help us to be portraits of the gospel, to have the conversations, to send the offense away? Because of vengeance is the insignia of the world. Forgiveness is the insignia of the believer. May we be a community that forgives, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.